The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. I often get a comment like this. Parkwood's a good church. I always wonder when somebody says that, what do they mean? You mean we have good music or have good children's programs? What does it mean to be a good church? I just want to encourage you to think something with me. Our concern ought to be, is Parkwood a healthy church? That is, does Parkwood understand who makes up the church? Do we understand what it is exactly and how the church is to function? Do we understand why it exists? We've said it this way. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. At a minimum in that purpose statement, we have set forward what it would look like to be a healthy church. So today, from Ephesians 4, we want to delve deeper into that. Now, I just want to say this to you. Uh, depending on your background, did you come from a church? Uh, were you not involved in a church prior to coming here? Some of the things I'm going to say today really are, are going to be category forming for you. They're going to be things that for some of you have never thought about or you've only approached how you view the church in some very specific ways based off of where you came from. So let the word of God define for you what the church is and what it means to be a part. So let's pray. Father, as we take up your word, particularly as we take up Ephesians 4, 1 to 16, instruct us. This is your word once and for all handed down to the saints. So as you wrote to the church at Ephesus, now you write to us. So Lord, we pray now that we would receive your holy word, that we would repent where necessary, and that we would act on what you have instructed us. Open our minds and hearts to see, Holy Spirit. Give us insight. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here's the main idea of this text. The entire body of Christ functions together for the growth of the body. The entire body of Christ means all of us function together for the growth of the body. There are two foundational truths that we've got to have in our minds that I don't have time to expound, but we've got to see them in this text. First, there is one body. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's one true body of Christ that is the church universal of all time and all places. But Paul here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's speaking to a local church. He's addressing a local body of believers, and he's saying, here's how we need to see ourselves as one body. And as we see ourselves as one body, we must remember the second and most foundational of the truth 
is that Christ is the head of the body. Verse 15, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. That means as the head, Christ is the authority of the church. The pastor is not the authority of the church. Christ is the authority of the church. He has spoken in his word and we must find what he has said and act accordingly. The second thing as we think about Christ being the head of the church is that the head is necessary. If you sever the body from the head, the body dies. Christ is essential if we are to grow. Now we want to focus in Remember our main idea, the entire body of Christ functions together for the growth of the body. We want to focus in on what it's teaching us about us first. Christ graciously gifts each one of us for the growth of the body. Let me define us. Us are those who are trusting every person in this room who is trusting in Christ alone for salvation. It's every person listening online who is trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Now of those people... Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 7. So divine grace is the source of every believer. Every person who is trusting in Christ alone for salvation is trusting in Christ alone, not because of anything that they did or accomplished, not because of anything of who they were. It is by God's grace by God's undeserved grace toward us that we have become followers of Christ. And for every person, according to his grace, who have been saved, each of these people, by his grace, have been gifted. So we as believers are a gift to the church, and we have been given spiritual gifts. Now these gifts, this is crucial, you got to get this next part. Spiritual gifts are for the specific purpose of carrying out the work of Christ through the body of Christ. Talents are not gifts. Talents are the result of being made in the image of God. So, let me be clear. Non-believers have talents. They're able to do things unique to individuals. That is because every human being was made in the image of God. Believers have talents, but once they come into the body of Christ, they are gifted for the sake of the body and for the mission of the church. So let's be very specific and let me just be simple and clear. Gifts are given to each member of the body. Each and every person is gifted by God. So there are not two kinds of Christians in the room. The kinds of Christians that are the core who really serve Jesus and are involved in the church and the rest. Every believer, every follower of Christ is gifted for the work of Christ through the body of Christ. Second principle, the gifts are not all the same. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you wanted to turn over there with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
It's an extensive explanation of spiritual gifts. It says in verse 4, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. So there are multiple giftings in the body of Christ. They're not all identical. So every member is gifted. The gifts are not the same. Third principle. Gifts are given according to the measure of Christ's gift for the sake of the body. So the end or the purpose of the gift is not the individual. Now, I've used spiritual gift surveys. I think they can be helpful on some level. But what spiritual gift surveys do is they make it about the person. It's not about me. The gift is given in the body of Christ. Now, now I'm in verse 11 of chapter 12. All these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually. So each individual person is gifted. And then it says, as he wills. <laughs> so, I've had people say this before. We approach people as a pastor, encouraging people to get involved in some certain aspect of the church. And people say, well, I'm not gifted for that. Come on. You know what you're really saying? You don't want to. (laughs) Or my favorite, I'll pray about it. (laughs) Here's what I believe, brothers and sisters. I believe... Somebody came up to me after the service and said, how, how, do, how do I know what my gift is? And I, I went through several things. What are you passionate about? What do you care about in the church? And then I said, ask other believers who know you well in the body of Christ. It's obvious to them. They see it. They see you doing it. They see you performing it. But here's what I believe this text is teaching. At any moment, for the sake of the body of Christ, As he wills, the Spirit of God can gift any one of you to do his work. So don't hide behind. That's not my gift. What we look to is what is the purpose, what is it God is doing, and how is God moving. Now, some of you are going to ask me about verses 8 through 10, and some of you are going to ask me even more questions about verses 8 through 10. So let me just read it and give you a very short one or two sentence explanation. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men, parentheses. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he has also descended the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill in all things. Here's what it means. The incarnate Christ descended to the world to accomplish the work of redemption. It is finished. It's done. He has now redeemed a people. He has led a host of captives. They're his. And he has gifted each one of them. He has now ascended. And one day, the Christ who has ascended will return. Now I'm going to give you a meditation for this afternoon. I want to challenge you to read the end of Matthew 24 as it applies to what I'm preaching to you today. And here's what it's going to teach you, the parable of the steward. This ascended Christ will return and every one of you, every last one of you, are going to answer 
to Christ for how you stewarded his gifts to you. All of you are. Back to Ephesians. It is incredibly significant that in explaining how the church functions, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul first identifies that every member of the body of Christ is gifted. In verse 11, he now picks up the spiritual leaders. He does not start with the spiritual leaders. He starts with every member, then works his way to the spiritual leader. But he never, this is important, he never loses sight of the individual members of the body. Second major principle. Christ graciously gives spiritual leaders for the growth of his body. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. The apostles and the prophets, the apostles, those who were called by Christ himself, the prophets who spoke for God from God, have record of what they said. Their office has ceased with the closing of the canon in the New Testament. Now you can say, well, I still believe apostle means it's a sent messenger and prophet means a person who speaks for God. That still happens. I'll give you that. But in the intent of the apostle and the prophet ceased with the closing of the canon. Then he says the evangelist, that's a proclaimer of the gospel, a person uniquely used of God to make the gospel known to those who have not yet heard. Shepherds and pastors Shepherd, pastor, interchangeable, which is also interchangeable to other places with the word elder. This is a leader or leaders of the flock and congregation. And then teachers. These are people who instruct others with skill and knowledge. And this is likely tied with the office of shepherd. At a minimum, a, pe- a pastor, a shepherd elder, must teach. Here's what it says. He gave these people... To the church, their gifts. Now, this person is only a gift if they are carrying out the responsibility of doing what God gave them to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, I'm going to tell you how we can both get disobedient. Everybody, listen, this is crucial. We can both get disobedient if you give your tithe and offering for me and a group of other people to do the work. You're being disobedient because you're not participating. If I receive your money and do all the work, I'm being disobedient because I'm not doing what God told me to do, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now just think about how much disobedience is going on in the Bible Belt. As people are passively sitting, preachers and others, a few people are doing the work, And we're disobeying what God's saying here. He gave the pastors, evangelists, the teachers to equip the saints. That means to fit them for a purpose. So what is the purpose? What are we we preparing and developing these people for? The work of ministry. So if it's not clear to you at this point, this is a shared ministry. Jesus established it in Matthew 28. We're to go and make disciples. Now this involves evangelism of going to those who have never heard. 
And once people believe of teaching them all that Christ has commanded. And when we do this, we are building up the body of Christ. Building means to bring to completion. So I mean, going by Garrison, uh, uh, there's a business, the name just slipped me. Uh, started with a foundation a few weeks ago. I went by there yesterday and most of the wall is up. They're moving to completion. It's obvious they're building. And here's what he's saying. It ought to be obvious here in the church that something's happening. Something's being built. It's being brought to completion. And let's not miss verse 16 before I move on. It makes the body grow. That the body of Christ here is to grow into Christ-like maturity and it is to grow in that it expands. That others come into the body of Christ. This is Francis Chan. The moment you begin to believe that your church can be healthy while you sit on the sidelines, you have given up on God's plan of redemption. God placed you in your unique situation because he wants you to minister to and with other Christians that he has placed around you. To help prepare you for that, to equip you for that, and to remind you of that, God has given spiritual leaders. So turn with me to Hebrews 13, 17. Now, as you're turning, I'm going to make a confession. This has been abused. This text has been abused by many, many pastors. And here's how it gets abused. A period is placed where a comma is. Obey your leaders and submit to them, period. As if I can get up here and start telling you about visions and dreams and everything I've had and this is what you need to do and God told me to tell you you need to do it. We're getting in some dangerous, dangerous waters, brothers and sisters. The text says, obey your leaders and submit to them, comma, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Keeping watch over your souls. So what, what is, what is the, the, the purpose of the spiritual leader is to remind the church that we are to grow up into him to train and equip the church that we are to grow up into him, that our souls, our relationship with God, that we are growing together in our relationship with God. When I neglect that and you neglect that, we're all gonna answer to God for it, but listen, I in particular am going to. And every pastor who's a part, an elder who's a part of this church, every one of us, we're gonna answer to God. For you. Let them do this with joy and not groaning. I'm going to tell you what groans me. Here's what groans me. Tomorrow night our elders will gather and sadly a part of every elders meeting is church discipline. It's the wayward brothers and sisters who are living in disobedience and we're discussing how do we progress to call this brother or sister to repentance. That is never, ever a joyful conversation, ever. As we groan in prayer for their repentance, that they would turn 
follow Jesus. The second thing that groans us is disobedience to what God has clearly said. Or let me put it this way. What groans us is passivity. I'll watch, you do it. We are doing this together. And God has designed his church for it to be done together. And let's see our third point. As things become more clear now. Christ designs his body to grow through particular means for a specific purpose. So what's the purpose? Until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. All right. Most of you have been to Carowinds or Disney World or something like that. So you walk up to the ride and there's one of these things. Remember this? Kids and grandkids love this. You got to be a certain height to ride to ride. Now, make sure you track with my illustration here. Jesus was the right height. And because he was, he accomplished redemption on your behalf. He did what you could never do. Christ, the fullness of God, died in your place. And he has done for you what you could not do. And when you trust in him by faith, you are saved. That's redemption. Then the Bible goes on to explain that you're fully saved. You're going to see God in heaven. But then it goes on to describe sanctification. Sanctification is becoming like Christ in our actual lives. Now, can I ask a question? Who would like to come up here and say, I am like Jesus in my actual life. May I ask a further question? Because he's not talking to singular. He says you in this, this is plural, that you are to grow into mature manhood. He's talking about the church at Ephesus. So I have a question. Parkwood, can we say we've reached the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? No, we cannot. That's not an excuse. It's not to say, well, you know, who cares? No, it is, it is to say what we desire is to become more and more and more like Christ. Here's what I hope is true. I would say it's true. We're more like Jesus as a church than we were a year ago. I see more evidence of spiritual maturity in this church than I did a year ago. That's God's desire for us that we are growing together into Christ-like maturity. So you got to ask the question, do we desire the spiritual maturity of Parkwood? Do you, I, do I desire it? Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that powerfully works within me. Now, now watch this. Here in Colossians, Paul's being very specific. He's saying every person mature. Now you see the logic when you put these two together, when you put Colossians 1 and Ephesians 4 together? If every person in this church is growing into Christ-like maturity, what's going to happen to us? We are going to grow into Christ-like maturity. 
So I'm gonna show you how we, how we work this out in terms of what we call growth groups as a church. A growth group has multiple different dynamics to it. It's not one-sided. And for some of you, you only see it as one-sided. So let me help you today understand what we're trying to do through growth groups. These are smaller groups of people who gather for multiple purposes. Here's the first purpose, that we are seeking gospel-centered growth, that we want to see people growing in their relationship with the Lord. You notice Colossians 1, 28 and 29 here. That we want to see people growing into Christ-like maturity, that we want to see groups growing into Christ-like maturity, and ultimately the church growing into Christ-like maturity. Now keep that thought in your mind. We're going to come back to this in a moment. Now what are the means in which we see this happen? Colossians 1, 28, him we proclaim. Verse 15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together with every joint with which is it equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So him we proclaim, speaking the truth in love. So I want you to just pause with me here and let's separate in our mind, and they're more than what I'm gonna do right now, the ministries of the word through this local church. I'm doing one of the ministries of the word right now. I'm preaching. And here's what happens when somebody preaches. I preach and you listen. <laughs> you might amen, if you start preaching too, we're just going to confuse everybody. So I preach, you listen. It's more of a passive listening to you, which prayerfully leads to right believing and to right living. Then the Bible describes teaching. So teaching, a person who's teaching, is concerned, are people getting what I'm saying. I know it makes some of you real uncomfortable that I look at you. Because I am, I am, now listen, this, this is where talents come in. A person can be a talented teacher. You don't have to be spiritually gifted to teach. There's some wonderful teachers in this city who are unbelievers. That's just a wiring God gave me. I was a good teacher before I became a Christian. Here's what a teacher's concerned with. Are you getting this? A teacher will stop, change directions, trying to make sure that people get it. They want to interact. Are, are you understanding this? Give me feedback in, into what's, what's being said here. Now, this requires a smaller group. That's become more inefficient now because in this environment, I control the time. I control how long we're here. We get into this environment where it becomes more interactive now, things become more inefficient. And somebody's going to say something dumb. Somebody's going to say something wrong. Which, by the way, those of you who get flipped out when somebody says something wrong in growth group, wouldn't you rather they say it wrong there and can be corrected than they just keep saying it wrong and never mention it in growth group? Think through that. It's also a place where somebody is struck by the spirit of what's said and they begin to share how God is dealing with them over it and you together begin to deal with it. Which leads you to the third ministry of the word. This is what ought to happen out of growth groups. 
you ought to be so paying attention to each other that one-on-one personal discipleship should be happening between each other. And discipleship happens with two primary things happening. Exhortation and rebuking. We all need to be encouraged. Encouraged to press on. Encouraged to live out our faith. And listen, we all need to be rebuked. It needs to be pointed out when we're wrong and when we're thinking wrong and when we're in sin. And this all happens in the context of love. Speaking the truth in love. So I don't give up truth so I can love you. And I don't give up love so I can speak truth to you. In order to rightly love you, I speak truth. And for me to rightly speak truth, I've got to love you. These two things have got to come together. Now when we do this, each part working properly, then we're going to see the growth of the body. Now, I'm going to be careful here. I don't mean that every person is functioning the exact same way. We've got to go back to the variety of gifts. It does mean that we all have responsibility. So I'm quoting Francis Chan again. It means that if you are not active in a local church, you are hurting brothers and sisters in Christ. So you've got to ask the question, am I working properly? Am I just a consumer or am I a servant? Let's go to John 13. John 13. I've had people say this to me before. You know, I'd be a part of a church if it weren't for people. I feel like that as a pastor. Pastoring's a lot of fun till people get involved. (laughs) You know what people require? Love. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. So Jesus said, watch how I've loved you. I spoke the truth to you. I've healed you. I've provided for you. I've spent time with you. That's what you do. You one another each other. You, you love each other this way. You bear with each other. All right, let's go back to our growth group diagram. The second dynamic of growth group is what we call gospel-centered community. The foundational text for that is this text, John 13, 34 and 35. That we have got to love each other. Now I'm going to get to the manner of this in just a moment. Let me say to you, there is not a person in this room that does not desperately want to be loved. And I'll go even further. There's not a one of you who doesn't want to know how to love. And maybe because of your past and your life, that's all messed up and jumbled up in your mind. But God has designed you to be loved and to love. Now, this love then plays out in verse 35 
By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So let's move to the third dynamic, what we call gospel-centered mission. Now, I'm going to ask you, is this right or wrong? Let's, let's say, those of us right here, we've known each other for 30 years. I love you. You sort of love me. No. We love studying the Bible together. We love praying together. We love spending, we love meals together. Are we being a gospel community? No. If the eight of us have been together for 20 years like that, we're not being a gospel community because we're not living the Great Commission. Jesus said the reason we're gonna, you're going to know is the world's going to know this love. This is why we're stressing growth groups in neighborhoods. The neighbors ought to know you're there, not that you're parking in their yard. Please don't park in people's yard, by the way. There ought to be tangible evidence of them seeing love and you loving them. That we love our neighbors, that we're moving toward our neighbors who do not know Christ. We are praying for our neighbors. We are reaching out to our neighbors. And, and we together are reaching to the nation. Some of the most powerful mission trips we've had in the last few years are growth groups who know and love each other going together for the sake of the gospel to the nations. Now, if you do these three things, what's going to happen to your growth group? Is it just going to be the nine of us, eight of us? Is it just going to be that? If we do all three of these things, what's going to happen to the group? It's going to grow. Now, this is where y'all get turned. You're going to split our group. <laughs> no, listen to me. God is multiplying your group. It's God. He's given fruit. So the question is, are you going to be selfish and keep it with the eight of you? Or are you going to embrace what God's doing and pray that it multiply? And grow. Because listen, listen. <laughs> we regularly look. There are some growth groups with five or six teachers in them. You know what that growth group's doing? Listen to me. That growth group is hurting each other and it's hurting the church. Because all those teachers are sitting in the same room. Now, they might trade it each week with each other. But think of what could happen if they multiplied out. God has called us to multiply and to grow. Now, this is crucial. The manner in which this must happen. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord. I'm now back at verse 1. You thought I skipped it. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, that's worth meditating over, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Tony Marita said, no passage is more descriptive of the church in action than this passage. So here's my question. Does our manner of interaction and commitment to love each other reflect a desire to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace? For unity to exist, there must be humble, selfless people who are seeking the good of others. Now, we live in a culture that says humility and gentleness are weakness. 
What those two things are, humility and gentleness, are consideration of others. It's a willingness to waive your rights on behalf of other people. Now, this is not normal. It's not very human. What it is, is supernatural. You say, well, you're over-speaking. Really? Am I over-speaking? Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence of the supernatural work of the Spirit in a church is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now let's take that and let's, let's, let's put the end of verse two, bearing with one another in love. Now I just love the gut level honesty of the scripture. You know what that means? Let me just put it in the Gastonia vernacular. I get on your nerves. That's what it means. Don't you love newlyweds? <laughs> I was talking to one a couple weeks ago. They're six months in. He said, this is hard. <laughs> You're not sitting across the table going. <laughs> when more than one person gets involved, and some of us can't get along with ourselves, but anyway, when more than one person gets involved, things get messy. And they require humility, and gentleness, and patience. It requires bearing with each other in love. Apart from this, a church cannot function and grow. Now, I wanna say this. Some of you have been here a long time, but mostly in this room right now, there's not a lot of you that have been in this church for decades. You need to thank God for what I'm gonna say next. Because of Parkwood Baptist's commitment since 1963 to bear with each other in love, she is still here and she's still growing. Amen. I'm going to say, you're clapping, I'm about to get really strong. We won't let you tear this church up. If the only way you know to act in a church is to be the crazy uncle and try to cause problems, not here. Not here. Now, we want to work together and we want to help you work through the things that have experienced in your past and how you've gone about things. But stirring up trouble is ungodly and counterproductive and does not have the mission of God in its view. We are called to be gentle and humble. We are called to bear with each other and to be patient. Here's the so what question. Now we're going to be personal. Am I functioning within the body of Christ at Parkwood for the growth of the body? You say, well, I'm not from here. That's an unfair question. All right, go wherever it is you live and put yourself right there in the local church you're in. You say, well, I'm not a member of a local church. I don't believe in that. I think you need to study your Bible. I think you're missing the fact that Paul wrote letters to local churches. 
and responsibilities on how to function in local churches. So am I functioning within the body of Christ at Parkwood for the growth of the body? All right, so some of you have done this. Somebody come up to me after the service, I need to get back in church. Now let's, let's use a different illustration. A lot of you have said this in the last six weeks. Well, I need to get back to the gym. All right, so let's pretend tomorrow at the Y, in between the weight area and the aerobic area, are these beautiful brown chairs. And on each chair is a book on how to get in shape. And tomorrow, we're all going to gather at 10 o'clock and we're going to sit in the chairs and we're going to read the book and we're going to watch other people do it. Oh, we're going to comment. Young man, that's incorrect. Young lady, you need to try harder. You might get back in the gym, but you're not getting in shape. You don't just need to get back in church. You need to understand that if you are a follower of Christ, you are called and a part of the body of Christ and you are to function within that body. You are to engage. 1 Corinthians chapter three. Verse six. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he nor plants or he who waters is anything. I love it. Don't think too much of yourself. He who plants or he who waters anything. Listen, I've said this many, many times. There's coming a day they're going to wheel me in in a wood or metal box. So people are going to say some words about me. I'll get said something about me for the next few years and eventually Parkwood will forget me. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. Start to say something else. Mm -hmm. It is God's work. He who plants or he who waters isn't anything. But only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, do you see this? Are one. They're one. That's profound. He who plants and he who waters are one. That's because we're part of the body. But then he goes specific, but each will receive his wages according to his labor. Back to Matthew 24, which I encourage you to meditate on. For we are God's fellow workers. That means we plant and we water. We're a part of what God's doing. Paul Tripp said it this way. Your life is bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. It's better than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are a part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transferring them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness. And if you are in Christ, he has made you a part of that. So the writer of Hebrews comes to the end and he says this. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Not neglecting together, to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That is the day of Christ. Now some have interpreted that verse to mean the church is together every week in worship. I think that's true. The church is together every week in worship. Here's a question I have, if that's all it means. 
How can this one another thing happen? How can we stir up one another? How, how can we encourage one another? You know what that requires? The work of ministry. That requires us being involved in one another's life for the sake of Christ, to the glory of God. I want us to pray. Lord, I trust you have confronted many people with many things. I'm sure there are some that are not sure whether to believe it or not. Lord, as best as I know how, I've tried to present your word. So Lord, I pray along with the Father that you confronted Lord Jesus who said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So for those who are struggling to believe you here, that they are called and gifted into the body of Christ, I pray that they would trust you, believe you, and act accordingly. For those who know they've been living in disobedience, I pray that they would repent and determine from this point forward to, to press forward into giving themselves to the work and ministry of the local church. And Lord, I pray for those who've been trying to run a three-legged race with us. They're not really a part of the body, but they've tried to attach themselves. I pray that they would repent of their sin and turn to the one who has provided the way into salvation, Jesus Christ the Lord, that today would be the day of salvation when you bring them into the body of Christ. Lord, now I ask that we would slow down in our minds and hearts and not be in a hurry to get out of here and that we would make the good confession together. I pray that the word of Christ will dwell in us richly now as we sing and that we'll admonish each other as we confess as to what we believe. Take this time, Lord, and use us in one another's life. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.